we all have to be reminded what God's eternal economy is. Uh, we should know this by heart because we hear this so much. God's economy, which is uh, according or based on his eternal purpose, which is according to his good pleasure uh, in times eternity, in times eternal, was to dispense or transmit or to work, whatever words you want to use, himself in his trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, the entire triune God, including all that this triune God has passed through. mainly um, in the Son. And that is through his incarnation, through his human living, through his death, crucifixion, and through his resurrection, and even his ascension. And all that he attained in his ascension, that would include his enthronement, And all of that today, all of these processes have now been made a part of this triune God today. His intention is to work himself in this trinity with all of these processes and accomplishment. And of course, we know the consummation of this process, we call it this processed triune God, is none other than the spirit. Not the simple spirit or the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But today, it is called the Spirit. And that Spirit is the ultimate manifestation of this triune God today. And it is in and through this Spirit that this triune God will be dispensed into us. When we receive the Lord, we receive this spirit. And therefore, we receive the whole God with all that he has gone through. And today, um, as his believers, as those who have been regenerated by his life, This God is being worked into us on a daily basis. And that process is the process of God's active economy. And this is basically our Christian life. Our Christian life is just a life of being under this dispensing. Day in, day out, what are we doing here? 
we're here enjoying that dispensing and we're here allowing and cooperating with and therefore allowing this spirit who is the triune God to fill us, to um, occupy us, to saturate us. Every part of our being, beginning with our spirit, our human spirit, and then on to even our soul, which is our person. And that is our mind, our emotion, our will, all these three important parts of our soul. This spirit today must take over, must fill and permeate. Amen? Amen. And this process of dispensing will actually, in our experience, become our salvation. Day by day, we're being saved by this dispensing. We call this the organic salvation, beginning with his regenerating our spirit and then his renewing of our mind, his transforming of our soul. And this process, this salvation process, put in another way, is the process of sanctification. That means we are made holy. We are made uncommon. We are made like God is holy from within, not from by our outward improvement, our outward reformation, an outward change of our behavior, which would come as a result of what? of our being inwardly sanctified. And so this process will consummate at the time when the Lord would return. And that will be our matured growth in our confirmation to the image of the firstborn Son of God and even... Ultimately, as far as our tripartite being is concerned, the transfiguration of our bodies. At that time, our tripartite being will be filled with this triune God. He would be our life. He would, his nature will be have been partaken by us. And at that time, we human beings, listen to me, will be possessors of God. We will possess God's life. We will possess God's nature. We will possess God's image. We will possess God's mind. We will possess God's being. We would have become God in life and nature but not in the Godhead and together together not just singly or individually we would be built up we would be 
fitted together. We would be framed together in an organic way as members of his body and as the many sons in the sonship, in his family, to be a corporate entity. And may I say, the corporate God. Again, in life and in nature. And brothers and sisters, when that happens, God's economy would have been fulfilled. And of course, we know there is a consummation, an ultimate manifestation of such a glorious result of God's economy, and that would be the city, New Jerusalem. Now, in a few minutes' time, I have just told you the whole Bible (laughs) and the story of this universe and the mystery of this universe, of all the divine things. It's wonderful. And we see this by God's mercy through the ministry in the Lord's recovery. And I I tell you, dear brothers and sisters, I I wouldn't say literally, but figuratively, every day I'm pinching myself. Is this real? Did I hear all of this? Of all of billions of people, I'm living in this age. I'm not living in the age of Martin Luther. You know, this year is the 500th year, a celebration year of half of a what? Um, Huh? Millennium. Uh, From the time when Luther nailed his 95 thesis on that cathedral door in Leipzig. And this... October, the leading brothers will be gathering in Leipzig, Germany, in the old Eastern Germany, for our international elders and co-workers meeting. We selected that city in this year to have our training. And after that, we'll spend a, a whole week to spread out into all of Europe to dispense the recovery version New Testament hundreds and thousands of them. So we have gone full circle. It started with Martin Luther. Now we're going back to good old Germany to spread to the people there something that is 500 years later. Not just what Martin Luther recovered, which is just a beginning part, even only the judicial part of God's economy. And that is justification by faith. His famous two books is Romans and Galatians. We thank God for such a servant of his that has recovered this great matter that man is not justified by works, man is justified by faith. It's a great, great thing. But that is only the beginning. Today, if you're still just knowing that, you just enjoy that, then you, I, was, I must say, you are 500 years old. <laughs> You're not up to date. Indeed, in these last 500 years, too much had taken place as far as the truth in the word is concerned. Much has been recovered. 
And I would even say, in a certain sense, all has been recovered. With justification as the beginning that has to do with our basic salvation. Now today, what I had just shared with you earlier, this great and high purpose, ultimate purpose, and that is that man would become God. That man would become the same as God in life and in nature. That man would live as God's species and God's kind. And so that God would have a full corporate expression in this universe of himself in and through that man, that corporate saved and sanctified and redeemed and transformed and conformed and transfigured man, fully filled with himself and his element, expressing him in this universe. Brothers and sisters, that's where the ministry has ascended to. This ministry that actually Paul had completed in the first century, he claimed, and rightly so, that he has completed the word of God. But even before had he died, that revelation, that ministry, that word had begun to be, begin to fade, um, assaulted, and eventually replaced by all manners of things. And that is the degradation of the church. But thank the Lord, he is the God of recovery. And so, as I mentioned in these last 500 years, that recovery has brought us to this point today. And so here we are with this great truth, wonder of wonders, this Bible, this whole, the word of God has been just open to us. You better pinch yourself, brothers and sisters. I mean, if you really see all of this, you will pinch yourself. This is like a dream, that man can know these things. But this weekend, brothers and sisters, we're on something apparently not so high, not so deep, uh, not so glorious. I'm talking about how to handle the word of God. You may say, what's, what's that got to do with all of these wonderful things? Well, I have an answer for you. Everything. Everything. My burden in these days, and even in this conference, is to refresh us, to remind us. And I would like to even use this word to help us rediscover 
this secret, this key, or this way. A very practical way that God has provided for us. So that all this great salvation, all this grand economy of his, can be fulfilled and experienced by us. So, God has given us two great gifts to man. Number one, his Holy Spirit. And number two, his Holy Word, the Scriptures. That body of sacred writings that is divinely penned, divinely inspired, Men being moved by that same Holy Spirit, that is God himself, to write. So these become, these are the extension of God's writing. And it is part of the Holy Word. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Word, these are the two great things. The Holy Spirit is God himself. God with his life, God with his nature, God with his essence, God with his element, God with his substance are all today in this Holy Spirit. This gift of the Spirit that he has given to us is not just for us to speak in tongues. That's too shallow. For us to sort of feel good. That is also quite shallow. For us to have the so-called gift of the Spirit to he to, for healing, for this, for that. And some people just cannot help but think about things supernatural when they talk about the, the spirit. No, I must tell you, these manifestations of the spirit is of the outward kind. They are not the main thing. They are not the main purpose of this spirit. This spirit is God himself. This spirit is how God would bring himself to us. And today, today, we are regenerated by this spirit, in our spirit. And today, our spirit is mingled with this spirit to become the mingled spirit. And today, this spirit is this triune God in us as the spirit of life, as the spirit of Christ, as the spirit of God, even as Christ himself for our daily experience, for us to touch, amen? amen. For us to love, amen? amen? For us to eat, for us to drink, for us to enjoy, for us to partake of, 
in a very, very living way. This spirit is not a force. This spirit is a living person. Don't you love the spirit? We should call Lord Spirit. The Lord Jesus today is the Spirit. And that is his compound name in 2 Corinthians, Lord Spirit. Today there's not a part of our Christian life without the Spirit. Without the Spirit, everything is vain. Everything is meaningless. Everything is in this Spirit. But not only so, God gave us his holy word. He didn't just give us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the holy word. He left us with this Bible. What does this Bible do? Why is this Bible important? Well, I will tell you, for one thing, this Bible is also he himself. And I don't mean the black and white, am I right? On a piece of paper, on in a book. I'm talking about the reality of the word of God is simply Christ. His name is the word of God. One day when he comes, leading his overcomers, sitting on the white horse to defeat the Antichrist, his name will be called the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And this Word, this eternal Word, this Logos, became flesh and tabernacle among us, full of grace and reality, and that is the very Son of God, Jesus Christ. So, brothers and sisters, the reality of the word of God is Christ himself. Is God himself. So every time you come to touch this word, it is the same as coming to touch the spirit. We're coming to touch God. We're coming to touch Christ. You must have this awareness. You must have this feeling within you. You're not just cracking open a book. You are coming to touch God. But this Bible is also full of writing, full of words. And these words, these writings, what it does, it is, it reveals, it unveils. Unveils and reveals what? It unveils and reveals, number one, the very God to us, who is a mystery. No man would know him. Without the word, we would not be able to know who this God is, what this God is, how this God is, how does he do things. But this word reveals that to us. Just the Spirit alone, we would not know these things. We need the Holy Word. Not only so, this Word unveils and reveals to us 
this very Christ, this all-inclusive Christ who is the centrality and universality of God's plan, God's economy. Everything is Christ. I told you last night these days I'm reading Psalms. I've never, I shouldn't say I've never been, I'm so refreshed, so refreshed that in God's mind there's nothing else but Christ. When the Lord asked the people the question, what do you think of Christ? That is the question of all questions. If you can answer that question, you got it solved. The whole universe, the mystery and the story is solved. The Father said, from the heavens, from the heavens, and he rarely does that, you know, unless it's really something important. He won't just speak from the heavens directly. And he did at the time of the Lord's baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Nothing else matters but Christ to God. So brothers and sisters, we need to exalt Christ. We need to praise this Christ. We, need to, we should laud this Christ. We should honor this Christ. We should bless this Christ. We should love this Christ. This Christ has to be everything to us in our daily life, in our marriage life, in our home life, in our church life, Christ should be everything to us. Then, I tell you, everything is in order. This Bible reveals this Christ completely to us. Through types and figures and prophecies in the, and poetries in the Old Testament. And through direct words in the New Testament, through the apostles' teaching. My goodness, my goodness, you better study Matthew, you study John, you study 1 Corinthians, you study Colossians, you find all the dimensions of this Christ. So, this Bible reveals to us the mystery of this universe. That is God, the mystery of God, that is Christ. And even more so, this Bible reveals to us the church, the other mystery, the mystery of Christ. That is a great thing. The church is not some building. The church is not a religion. The church is not Christianity. The church is a mysterious entity a mingling of God with man, a hybrid of divinity mingled with humanity. And all that that entails, this Bible, again through types, through prophecies, and through plain words, reveal this church to us. 
This Bible also unveils to us how we should live, how we should be as God's people, as his believers. Too many instructions. These are not for us to reform ourselves with. These are instructions in the end of how we should live this Christ, express this triune God, and even display the Spirit in our lives, both individually and collectively as the ch individually as believers and collectively as the church, his body. So, brothers and sisters, I spend all these minutes without even getting into this lesson to give us a picture, a very, very necessary picture. These are the two great gifts that God has left to us. Aren't you thankful? that we have the Holy Spirit within us and we have the Holy Word without us. And let me tell you, these two things correspond. They are one. The According to the two verses we read in uh, John 6, 30, 63, and then Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. We see what? In John 6, 33, it says that the flesh profits nothing. All right? When it comes to the things of God, when it comes to spiritual things and divine things, you better give up your flesh because it doesn't work. It doesn't help. The words that I speak to you. The words that I speak to you. They are spirit. And they are life. These words that the Lord Jesus spoke. Which is now part of the word of God. And in fact. The very important verse that we read last night. From 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God breathed. You know, that word breathe should remind us of the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the breath of God. In Greek, the word breath and the word spirit and the word air is the same one word. Pneuma. Pneuma. So, the word, the scripture, is God's breath. God's breathing out. And God's breathing out is simply his spirit. Amen. And here the Lord Jesus said, the word that I speak to you, they are spirit. And dear brothers and sisters, we all must have a renewed seeing that this word of God in our hands, in substance, is spirit. This is not black and white. These are not just some concepts and ideas. This is spirit in essence. In essence. 
And it is also life. This word, these words are life. These words are living. They are the divine life and they convey the divine life to us. They bring life to us and the life supply from God. The, the, this is a great verse. The words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. Actually, already implying how we should handle and take this word. If it's spirit, that means we have to find a way to receive that spirit. And if it's life, we have to find a way to partake of that life. And to put it simply, brothers and sisters, the way is not, firstly, with your mind. It has its place, and it will follow. But the first thing is that we must exercise our spirit. That God built and created organ and faculty within us to communicate with God to touch the divine things, to fellowship with the Lord, we must use our spirit when we come to the word to receive it as spirit and as life. This is, this is significant, very, very significant. The problem today is people, including Christians, including Christian teachers, don't see this. And so they come to the word, the Bible. The first thing is try to read it and understand it and study it. I'm not saying there's no place for it. And tonight we're going to talk a lot about that. But first thing first. This word is not just to convey ideas. This word is to convey God to convey Christ into our being. And so, and so, we need to exercise our spirit to touch this word, to access this word, to receive this word, and thereby receive spirit and receive life into us. Then we have Ephesians chapter 6. There it says what? He says, receive the sword of the Spirit. Am I right? Not take, but receive the sword of the Spirit. Which Spirit is the Word of God? Very important. There, when it talks about the Spirit, it says that Spirit and we know that spirit is the Holy Spirit today, the Spirit of God today. That spirit receive that spirit. Which spirit is what? Is the word. Isn't that curious? Isn't that interesting? Whereas in John it says the word is the spirit. Here in Ephesians 
it says, the Spirit is the Word. The loop is completed. The Word is the Spirit, brothers and sisters, and the Spirit is the Word. So when we receive that sword of the Spirit, how do you receive it? You receive it as the Word. Somehow you have to get that sword by getting the Word. And that Word is Spirit. Or the Spirit is that Word. So when you receive that Word in the right way, that Word will be like a sword. Like a sword. And that sword, we all all know, is two-edged. One side is for the enemy. An offensive weapon that we have to deal with the enemy. The other end is the side that will divide your soul from your spirit. The enemy within is ourself and our soul life, brothers and sisters. We need the same sword. But that sword will not be effective. That sword of the spirit will not be effective if it's not coming to us or taken by us as the word. Now how do we take this spirit word? Or this word spirit? How do we take it? Thank the Lord. It's in the next verse. By means of what? Not just prayer, but all prayer. Meaning all kinds of prayer. All manners of prayer. Soft prayer, loud prayer, intimate, fine prayers, prayers of praise, prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of petition, prayers of supplication, prayers of intercession. All manners of prayer are the way we access this word. Do you follow me? So next time when you give thanks, you better give thanks with the word. Next time when you supplicate, when you petition the Lord for something, petition with the word. That's how you take the sword. Next time when you intercede even for a brother, for a sister, for a situation, bring out the word. And by this way, We what? We receive the Spirit. We receive the Spirit. Now, I hope by this very simple speaking, you can see that the Spirit and the Word are conjoined, are actually mingled and actually one. You cannot have one without the other, in a very good sense. And when you have one, you have the other. Now, this weekend, we're on the Word. We're on the Word and how to handle the Word. What I want to impress you is, this is why it is so important for us to know how to come to the Word of God. 
because we want to come to the Word of God in a way that we touch spirit and life. We want to come to the Word of God and handle it in a way that we would receive spirit and life. And if we can do that, brothers and sisters, what, should, what can I say? I would say that's it. That's the secret of our Christian life. That is the key to the church life. I mean that. Now, last night I started in the very, at the baseline. I call it the baseline. And that is the first thing when you come to the Word is you have to read it. Am I right? You have to read it. But my burden last night actually is not on just reading it. My burden last night, because the, uh, uh, they didn't put out the sheets, so this morning you all got the sheets. Did you get the sheets? My burden is very much on our attitude in coming to this word. Our attitude in coming to this word. So I went through quickly uh, Psalm 119 <clears throat> on how the loving seekers of God in the Old Testament, what their attitude was, what their attitude was, and even they were not saved, they were unregenerated, they knew there's something about the word of God, which to them at those, in those days was the law. Was the law not so good? But they sort of punched through that and found God behind that law. That the law eventually was not something for them to keep. It is a means for them to touch God himself. And so they treat the word of God in a living way and they actually come to the word of God as if they're coming to God, a living person. And all these things that even I read quickly last night confirms that, confirms that. Now, I don't have the time. I told you to laminate it. All right. And in the coming days and months, I would even say even this coming year, take a verse every day. I don't know what you do. I don't care what you do. And really come to the same view as these seekers. So when you come to the word, you would be coming to this living person, to the spirit and enjoy that word in such a way as you are coming to a God himself. I think I shared this with you, didn't I? Or just with some of the brothers, I forgot. But I surely shared this very much up in the Bay Area in California. And that is this quote that I came upon by um, Augustine so-called St. Augustine, right? I don't call him St. Augustine because if he's St. Augustine, I'm St. Minoru, okay? <laughs> if he's a saint that way, that's okay. All right. 
Augustine, this great theologian, um, the, a church father in the early church, he famously said this, he said that today in this life, treat the scriptures as the face of God. Melt in his presence. That's a famous quote. That means to him, to him, when he comes to the word, he's not just coming to read some book, even a sacred book. He came, he came, as it were, to God's face, to touch God's face, to see God's face. And the Bible is full of this thought of God's face being God's presence. That when you have his face, you have his presence. When you have his presence, you have him. That when we come to the word, when we come to the scriptures, we should come to him for, for life, for spirit. And not just for mere knowledge and information and any other things. But this morning, I like to firstly, what time is it? I, 11? All right, okay. I want to quickly go through this second sheet that you have called Engaging Our Whole Being in the Word of God. You got that page? Pull that out. All right, again, I'm not going to go through it. I'm going to ask you to laminate it. All right, using a different color paper. So do you, con you don't confuse the two. Dear brothers and sisters, if the word is as I describe, then, saints, it takes our whole being to be engaged. Now, you don't engage God with part of you. We need to use our whole, exercise our whole being to be engaged with God. Because God wants our whole being. And he wants to fill our whole being. Now that we have found out that the word is actually himself breathed out as the spirit. We have to apply the same principle. We have to engage our whole being in the word of God. If you practice this, brothers and sisters, you will see a change, a real change. All right, I just read this. We must come to the sure word and open up our whole being to the word. Our mouth, our eyes, our mind, our spirit, our heart, until Christ as the morning star rises up in us and shines over us. You know, this is based on Peter. That says what? I think Second Peter, that we should take care of the more sure word of his prophecy until, as a lamb in a dark place, until the day dawns, until the day star, which is Christ, arises in our heart. Brothers and sisters, do you see 
how Peter, how these early apostles and believers handled the word. It's not just a book. It's not just a Bible. They treat this word of God in a very, very dear way. In a very, very engaged way. Unlike us today, when I have time, I read a little Bible. When I don't, too bad. I mean, they were doing this with a view to the Lord's return. Do you know this? With a view to the Lord's coming back. Even the word of God, as much as is taught among us, is not treasured, revered by many saints to this degree. And I find that to be a sad thing. We of all people in the Lord's recovery who have our eyes open to so much riches in the word of God. And yet when it comes to treating the word of God, we're not that engaged. We're not that consecrated. We're not that given to it. It's a kind of optional thing in our daily lives, almost. And some of us take the word in a minimal way. Minimal way. Not to mention some of us just have the Bible on our table, on our desk, or on our bookshelf. Collecting dust. No, that Bible is not for that. That Bible is everything. It has to be living to us. All right, we need to have our whole being engaged. Just like we have to be entirely engaged with the Lord, the Lord Jesus. The same thing, we have to be thus engaged with his word. So I won't go through these verses. I have it put down here. The first few verses is about the word and the mouth. The mouth, brothers and sisters. Have you heard you need to use your mouth? You said, well, yes, you need to use your mouth to pray these words, to speak these words, in fact, to eat these words. Number two, the word and the eyes. The eyes. Saints, when you come to the word, use your eyes. Lay your eyes on these precious words. This is a sign of focus. This is a sign of attentiveness. This is a sign of engagement. Number three, your ears. If you read the Bible, even when you read it, and your ears are exercised, you hear things. You hear the word. You hear God. You really will in your spirit. So the ears must be exercised. Just like now, you're hearing me. But I hope you're not just hearing me. You're hearing the spirit within you right now. 
the word and the hands, even our hands, should, should be engaged. Even our hands holding this Bible. The word and the feet, even our footsteps, our walk, should be according to this word. The word and the spirit. The word and the spirit. This is actually not just the Holy Spirit, but our human spirit have to be totally, absolutely engaged with the word of God. If we want to partake of it as spirit and life. The word and the heart. So many would come to the word heartless. Heartless. The heart is not there. Yes, the word is open. The heart is somewhere else. Dear saints, is your heart engaged? Is your heart involved when you come to the word of God? The word and the soul, our whole soul, our mind, our emotion, our will have to be engaged. Our mind, very much. Now I come to the mind. You say, we don't need the mind. We just be mindless. No, no. The first thing is our spirit. We must touch the word with our spirit. We must exercise our inner man, our spirit, to touch the spirit that is in the word. There's no other way. We've got to do that first. But as it continues, as we are in the word, the mind kicks in. The mind's function is actually very important because the word, when it comes as spirit and life to you, will give light, will give understanding, will give the living knowledge about God and things that have to do with God to us. And that requires our mind to understand, to decipher. So a renewed mind is very, very necessary. We're not just kind of mindlessly pray reading. No, actually, if you know how to pray, read, your mind is totally engaged under the dominance of the Spirit. Being used by the Spirit to apprehend, to comprehend. All right, so the mind is necessary. And finally, even our will is needed to choose according to the Word. So finally, we have this line, the word and the ears, the eyes, the heart, and the body, our entire being. Proverbs, Proverbs 4, 20 to 22. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. You see this? Every part of our being would be, would be exercised when we come to the Word of God. I, I, like, I like to see a revival. 
really a revival in the churches of how the saints come to the word of God. Amen. Trust me, brothers and sisters, this is a huge matter. This is a great matter. This is the most important thing in our Christian life and church life. Now, let's come to the outline. We come to this matter of praying the word and dear brothers and sisters, I am doing the impossible job of covering this matter in one meeting. In fact, in a few minutes. <laughs> well, let's just, let's just use this outline and I will just say something, okay, about this outline. Last night, the first thing is to read the word. Saints, even to read the Bible is a blessing. Is a blessing. Now we come to something more. And that is to pray the word. To pray the word. Oh, we all must learn how to pray the word. Okay? Because this is what we mean by exercising our spirit to receive spirit and life in the word. The main function of the Bible is to impart God into us as life and as the nourishment of life. I mentioned that already. Whenever we read the Bible, we should not merely try to know or understand it, but take something of God's essence into us, just as we take our food. I think this is a very, very appropriate, more than an analogy, actually it's a teaching. That is to take the word in the form of food, in the form of a beverage, the pure milk of the word. Am I right? That's a beverage. And what? The bread. The bread. The daily bread. That is a solid food. In both cases, it refers to the word of God. So, when we come to the word, eat it. Drink it. And the best way to eat and drink the word of God is to pray it is to pray with the very word that you are reading. We call it pray reading. After we're saved and born again, our most immediate need is that we learn how to take in the Lord as our spiritual milk and nourishment. I'll tell you, for us to shepherd new ones, actually, if we can help them to pray the word, my goodness, we're helping them really on their way. All right. The way the Lord nourishes his body is by his word. His body, meaning the church. That's how the Lord is nourishing all of us. If we desire to enjoy the Lord and be nourished by the Lord, we must come to the word to taste the Lord. 1 Peter 2. 
Desire, newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that we may grow unto salvation. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come to the word with the desire to taste, to eat, to drink, and to be nourished. The spirit is the very substance of the word of God. I covered this already. God is spirit. The spirit is God's essence and nature. Since the word is the breath of God and God is spirit, whatever is breathed out by God must be the spirit. The nature of this book is the very essence of God himself. Whenever we deal with this book, we must realize that we are touching and dealing with him. So every time you open the Bible, you should have the idea God is breathing out. You open it, the breath is coming. God is breathing through the word that you are reading. And so what do we need to do? We need to inhale that breath. We need to take in that breath by exercising our spirit to pray that word. His very breathing out. Pray that word, that breath into you. The word of God must be taken by means of all prayer. We need to receive the Lord's word in the spirit because the Lord's words are spirit and life. Prayer is the unique way to exercise our spirit. Praying is the only way to receive and enjoy the Lord's word with our spirit. Now, this is where I'm feeling I'm climbing a mountain. Because this prayer reading is so common among us. So, it's a common thing, am I right? In the church life, we all know how to pray, read. You don't need to teach us. We know this, I did this 40 years ago. Well, brothers and sisters, I don't know how to say it. I just can tell you that these days I'm just so filled with the burden that this old practice would be renewed, would be refreshed, would be made living and alive, and not as it has become more or less a formality of the churches, a local church thing that we do before the meeting. Do you see what I'm saying? It has lost its luster. It has lost its meaning. It has lost its dearness. It has lost its impact in our lives. Pray reading used to change lives. Am I right? Pray reading turned us upside down. Pray reading made us different. We pray read in that kind of a way. But somehow in these decades, this activity, this practice has somewhat degraded, somewhat faded into a kind of form, into a kind of something, common thing that we do, having lost its power and lost its impact in our lives. That's my burden. So I'm calling for a rediscovery a refining of this greatest practice in 
the church of God. And I have another folder here full of material that I want to talk to you about on prayer reading, which I don't have time to do. To convince you that this is not some local church thing. This has been practiced from by the saints in the early church, by the church fathers, by all the seeking believers throughout the church history. In 1958, our dear brother Lee spoke about the enjoyment of God. The enjoyment of God, a very, very new term in those days. We never use that term, enjoy God. He did. And simultaneously, when he talked about the enjoyment of God, as our brother always was, his habit, never to leave us with just an aspiration, he suggested this practice. He began to suggest this practice of praying the word, or he called it pray reading. But he didn't get through in Taiwan where he released this burden in the late 50s. It was not until the 60s when he came to this country, there in Los Angeles, when this practice of praying the word came in in a prevailing way. Los Angeles actually was not the first church to practice it. There was one church in Taiwan that entered into this practice. And there was also the saints in San Francisco in those days that entered into this practice. And that practice came to Los Angeles. And we picked it up and began to practice it. The year about 1966. I touched the church in Los Angeles at the end of the year 1967. By that time, this matter of praying the word or pray reading has become so dominant, so powerful, so much part of the church life. That's how I came in. In fact, I'd like to testify to you my first touch, strong touch with my spirit was through pray reading. That's my entrance into the realm of the exercise of my human spirit. It was through pray reading. Maybe it's because of that. To this day, I cannot forget about it. I cannot forget about it. And in those days, those years, pray reading was literally, it's everything. We have whole meetings on just pray reading with a number of people like that in L.A. A whole meeting of an hour, an hour and 15 minutes, an hour and 30 minutes, we just pray read. And when we come together to eat, we don't say grace, we pray read. And we don't even just pray, read before we eat. We pray, read, and after we eat. Our whole life is pray, reading. We come together in small groups in the morning to have our morning watch, pray, reading. 
I re still remember to this day, one time we were pray reading on laying on of hands. You know, you can eat laying on of hands. Not as a doctrine, not as a practice, but as food. Amen. You say, you're crazy. Maybe we were. But I tell you, our lives were changed. Dramatically. Now, I know this is but a practice. But if you have a vision, if you have a vision, this practice is different. Now, I'd like to say something further here. And that is, in this matter of pray reading, I'm most burdened with what? With the way we pray the word. Because that determines how much you get, how much you enjoy. Now, if this is food, the word is food. And we eat this food by prayer. Then it follows that this process is not complete until there is thorough digestion. Am I right? And assimilation. I find today a lot of the prayer reading is eating. Tasting, enjoying, but lacking digestion. Lacking assimilation. And therefore, lacking transformation. So we pray read and we enjoy something. Pray reading, right? Just like we did before this meeting. It left a good taste in our mouth. That's good. But that process is not complete until we, what, digest it. The scroll that was eaten by John, am I right, in Revelation 10, was sweet as honey in his mouth, just like in Ezekiel 3 with Ezekiel. Sweet in his mouth. But in the case of John, it became bitter in his stomach. Somewhat, somewhat giving a clue that it's not just a matter of tastiness in the mouth. It's of its operation when it gets into your body, into your stomach. It operates in a certain way, and that operation is not always like honey. My point, brothers and sisters, is we need to feed on the word in a what? In a digestive manner. But first, we have to enjoy its sweetness. Then we digest it. And you see, even right now, I just, in a way, don't know how to go on because there's really too many things to talk about. Let's 
use the next section of this outline to help us, okay? We should not simply have one way of prayer, but every means of prayer. That means all kinds of prayer. Exercising our spirit to pray in various ways to take the word of God. Would you do this, saints? Not only in the morning, but throughout the day. In our lives, we would pray to take the word of God. I would like to say this, dear ones. The top kind of prayer, just praying, petition, intercession. The top kind of prayer is word-filled. Word-filled. Andrew Murray famously said, the real prayer is the Christ in us, praying to the Christ above. I would put it in this way, in the context of this conference, that is, the real prayer is the word of God being assimilated and digested by us and constituted in us, being uttered through us in spirit back to God, as spirit. I know that's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. You remember in, talk about Psalms, in Acts 4, the church was persecuted and they came together to pray. Remember that? You know what that prayer was? That prayer was a quote from Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? You know, you remember that? That wonderful, beautiful Psalm that turned us from the law to Christ. They were pray reading. The whole church was praying Psalm 2. No wonder the Psalms has a place in the New Testament church life. When you come together, each one has a Psalm. Be filled in spirit, speak to one another in Psalms. Why does a Psalm have a place? Not all the Psalms, but certain Psalms. It unveils Christ. It is the Word revealing Christ. And when we eat and when we drink and when we enjoy and when we digest and assimilate the Word in this way, I tell you, when we pray, this Word would come forth. I tell you, the top prayer is pray reading. That you're not praying out of your own logic, your own concept, even your own words. And many times in this kind of prayer, we just quote the word back to God. How, what prayer is more effectual than us reminding God of His promises? Do you follow me? We're not asking God to do something for us. We're telling God to fulfill his own promises in his faithfulness. That is powerful prayer. I'm, I'm just giving an illustration of prayer reading. All right. Many ways to pray. Number one, 
is pray reading. When we read the Bible, we should turn the words in the Bible into prayer. So, brothers and sisters, I hope I'm not taking too much time here, but a lot of our so-called prayer reading has degraded into da-da-da, amen. Da-da-da, amen. Do you follow me? Amen? <laughs> da-da-da, amen. Now, is that bad? No, it's not bad. But that is the most elementary form of prayer reading. I call it repeat prayer reading. But sorry to say, even when we pray that way, many of us don't even use our spirit. And it literally becomes a form. A local church form. That is also kind of weird to people when they come among us. Now, if there's spirit, at least there's spirit. But when the spirit is not there, it's really weird. <laughs> da, 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 amen. In the beginning, amen. What are these people doing here? Well, I would say exercise the spirit to da, 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 amen. Huh? amen. Use the spirit to strike the word as the force phosphorus. Use your match, phosphorus with phosphorus, it strike it and you get the fire. So I would suggest there are four kinds of prayer reading, four levels, and I like to see the churches advance. From the first one is what I call repeat prayer reading, is what I say in the beginning, amen, was the word, amen. Now don't despise that, don't despise that, but that is just the beginning. The churches ought to advance. The second kind of prayer reading is, I call it, the striking prayer reading, which I just talked about. Strike. Or you call it the emphasis prayer reading. And that is, you don't just say something and tag an amen at the end and say you pray read. You actually now use the Spirit in a more intense way In him was life. All right? What do you do? Now you just don't say, in him, amen, was life, amen, like that. You say, in him. In him. Oh, Lord Jesus, in him. In him, Lord Jesus. You see? You say, oh, this is also weird. Yeah, it's kind of weird. But it's weird in a good way. Now, lest you think this is just, oh, you're just telling us this kind of strange stuff, right? No, 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 it's not strange stuff. It makes a difference. When, you come to, when we come together, few brothers or few sisters, which I admonish you to do in the churches more and more, don't wait for the meeting, come together. Morning revival or, or coming together in small groups just to pray read. Pray read in this way. In him. Amen. Brothers, shall we practice? Amen. In him was life. You know the, the verse in John 1, 4, right? In him. Amen. 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 In him. It's a little hard to demonstrate. <laughs> but in this little demonstration, I also want to point out something that is a bad habit in our prayer reading. And that is... 
unison repetition as a form. So I say in him. They all say in him. That's a form. I'm not saying that's sinful or worldly, but I'm saying that's formal. Because it has, it's a habit. It's a, it doesn't mean that much, really, when you did do it. It's a habit. But when you exercise the spirit, oh, in him, you're exercising your spirit, right? In him. My, my goodness. You will begin to touch something. You will begin to touch something. Actually, your mind begins to function already, following your spirit when you pray really in this way. But this is only the second step, which you also need to practice. You need to go through the third level. The third level is what I call digestive. Digest. Not just repeating, not just emphasizing, but digestive. And this, this prayer reading is what I'm most burdened for today. Digestive prayer reading. And for this, I like to go to B. Go to B in the outline. Musing. You see this word? Musing. I like to say that musing is the Old Testament word for prayer reading. It's in Psalms, repeatedly used by the psalmist. Okay, what does it mean to muse in the word? Okay, one, it's rich in meaning. The Hebrew word for muse implies to worship, to converse with oneself, to speak aloud. To muse on the word is to taste and enjoy it through careful considering. How about this? Do you know when you pray, read, you are worshiping? Have you ever had the thought you are engaged in worship? You're not just pray reading or going through some motions. You are worshiping if you are musing on that word. And it says it is to converse with oneself. That means you're talking to yourself. If you come to my bedroom, you see me talking to myself when I'm pray reading. Don't pray read silently. Learn to pray read audibly, at least to yourself. If you pray reading by yourself. It is good actually to have a lots of pray reading with each other. That is another huge matter, and that is group pray reading, corporate pray reading. All right? But converse with yourself. In him was life. Oh, in him was life. Oh, in him. What is to be in him? You're talking to yourself, am I right? Musing. Musing. To speak aloud. To speak aloud. At a certain point, you exclaim, Oh, in him was life. Was life. There's nobody around. Have you had that experience? Have you had this weird experience? Have you had this precious experience? I'm afraid many of us don't. It's just, oh Lord, amen. 
In him was life, amen. Okay, we're done. Let's get on with business. Let's get on with the meeting. No, pray reading is it. I wish to see the recovery of this matter to such an extent. Many church meetings would be filled with prayer reading. And after that, it's better than having heard a message. Okay. And enjoy it with careful considering. Don't say this is mindless. I tell you, when you pray read this way, oh, there's so much anointing of the Spirit, so much speaking of the Spirit. The mind is quickened. The mind would what? Would draw upon it. The mind would be nourished by it. The soul would be nourished by it, by the living word of God. Some of these words may be strange words to you, but those who have the experience know what I'm talking about. All right, I I must go on. Prayer, speaking to oneself and praising the Lord may be included in musing on the word. So while you're praying, pray reading in this way, in this kind of digestive way. I tell you, some prayer will come forth in your spirit. For someone, some intercession, some petition may come forth just from that prayer reading. That's Ephesians 6. By means of all prayer, receiving this word. You You see what is going on here? All right. And... Praise would break forth. Do you have the experience? When you pray, pray reading in such a way, you just start to praise the Lord. And you start to give thanks to the Lord. And I will tell you, even singing would come forth. You say, I don't have a, I, I don't have a tune. I have a, I'm a lousy singer. You think God cares for your operatic voice? God doesn't care for that. God cares for what is from your heart. Two, prayer speaking to one's... uh, Okay, okay. May also be included in musing on the word. To muse on the word is to chew the cut, to receive the word of God through much reconsideration. Usually musing upon the word will be slower and finer than pray reading the word. It's a... Advanced form of pray reading the word. If you take in the word too quickly, we will not have much enjoyment. But if we chew the cut as we take in the word, our enjoyment will increase. Musing is even richer, broader, and more inclusive than pray reading, for it includes prayer, worship, enjoyment, conversation, bowing down, and even lifting up our hands to receive God's word. It includes rejoicing, praising, shouting, and even weeping before the Lord. When is the last time you wept? Pray reading. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit touches. The Spirit moves. So much, so much, that in the presence of the Lord, you weep. Up in the bay, I coined this phrase. Motion without emotion is what we have degraded into a lot. 
Motion. Just go through the motions. No emotion. And of course, I don't mean sort of the natural emotion. I, but nevertheless, I do mean emotion. Feeling. Go back and read the Psalms. Psalms can only be written when there is sentimental feeling. That is the principle of a psalm. It is not just, it is not just a script, a, 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 a piece of, an article, a research paper. It is writing with sentiment, with deep impressions, based on experiences, and when that uttering, utterance come out, in a singable manner, you know, in a poetic manner, that becomes a psalm. I pray that our prayer reading in the church life will not just be motion. Motion. Singing, singing the word is an excellent way to exercise the spirit. I won't get into it because there's it's, it's too much there about singing the word of God. To pray is to exercise the spirit. The sing is an especially good way to exercise the spirit. I want to recommend to you a few chapters in this book called Perfecting Training. Perfecting Training, a very thick book. There's a few chapters that readily talk about singing the word. Psalming. Psalming is higher, deeper, more profound than singing. To sing the word is better than reading it, and to psalm the word is even better than singing it. Psalming is a type of singing that includes musing. As we psalm the word, we dwell upon it, muse upon it, enjoy it, thereby giving more opportunity for the word to saturate us. At such times, we may worship the Lord, have fellowship with him, or even converse with ourselves in the Lord's presence. Brothers, I'm describing to you a picture, an image of the right kind of receiving of the word by means of all prayer, which, which includes not just the eating and tasting of the word, but the digesting of that word, the assimilating of that word. That word, which is spirit of and life, by means of this kind of prayer, will enter into you, will be deposited into you, will become your constitution. This is how we feel with the Lord. This is how we feel with the Spirit. This is how we feel with life. Brothers and sisters, please practice this. I can, I can speak until I'm hoarse, but it won't work until you practice it. So I like to recommend all the churches these days individually practice it anew, afresh, and corporately come together and practice this kind of prayer reading. Now, my time has surely more than run out, so I will jump over this number three, jump over number three, and let's read number four together, the last Roman numeral. Consequently, we not only receive the Lord's nourishment, 
refreshment and enlightenment, but also experience his water, strengthening, transforming, and uplifting. This is the experience of the power of the word of God in our spirit. There is no adequate way to describe the benefit of pray, read, and read. So my brothers and sisters, that's all I can do. This greatest gift, these two greatest gifts of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word can now be apprehended by us by this living way of praying it, of musing upon it. So really, really, this is too significant, too important in our Christian life and in our church life. I think I'll just stop here and ask the saints to come up to strengthen these points or to share something of your experience. Amen. Amen.